a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And And from you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And, Governor, thanks for being with us in the middle of It feels like the middle of summer, but yet the kids are going back to school. I, I, I know, Maria. Oh I, I just can't believe that it's it's happened so quickly. I'm not sure where July went, and August is is now more than halfway over. Uh, but it, it's been a great summer, and uh, my, my daughter's back to school tomorrow. I mean, that's that's how it goes. It's crazy how quickly those things happen. Way too fast. Way I think too the fast. pandemic had something to do with that. Time just seemed to speed up or something. I just can't – I don't know. I've been in some sort of time shift since – 2020. We were having that conversation today and <laughs> with my staff, and, and I just I, I don't know where the time's going. It goes by way too fast, and uh, we're going to blink and be in a home somewhere playing bingo. So we're we're looking oh. forward to that, but it <laughs> is going blink. way too <laughs> no fast. Blinking. So slow so, down, Governor. Let's start out. Let's talk about water. Okay. So it's been a hot summer. We've had some nice storms of late, but we are still seeing some pretty significant water shortages. Uh, talk about your concerns and uh, how we're doing. Sure. Well, well, let me begin by thanking the the residents of Utah, and and I do this every chance I get because they've been incredible. Uh, We have seen significant reductions um, in in some of our water districts. I've heard numbers from 25% to 30% um, less usage per capita than than last year. Others, it's 2% to 5%, but but we've we've seen some massive massive cutbacks uh, from from farmers, ranchers, residents, businesses, uh, churches, everybody really, really pitching in and doing their part. If you drive around and look at the yellow lawns, mm. um, they, they, that makes me really happy. That means people are, are trying. And we've also been blessed with some uh, with a really solid uh, monsoon uh, monsoonal moisture period of time. Um, Southern Utah is, is is getting hit almost every day. My son, who's in Cedar City, told me they've had rain almost every day for a week. Uh, and and that's been true in St. George and other places. St. George went over 90 days with no rain. And, and fortunately, they've been getting much more. So how we're doing as a state we are actually four percent um our reservoirs are four percent higher than they were at this time last year that's huge um we did not expect that um no expert thought that they thought we'd be significantly below where we were last year now that still means we're 15 percent below average so we we are in a drought there is no question 100 percent of the state of utah is in a drought the drought is not as quite uh as severe as it was last year which is good news but when you have um when you have 20 years on and off of drought, there's uh, there's kind of a building or a multiplier effect that happens. And and so even though we are getting these storms, we we didn't have a great snowpack last year. And that's that's where most of our water storage comes from is from snowpack. So so we desperately need uh, snowpack. We need people to continue to conserve. And then there's the bigger issue, which is is more than just Utah. 
and this this drought is affecting the entire West and, and the hydrology of the Colorado River, which is so important, not to all of our state, but to, for a significant portion of our state. And the hydrology of that river being so low right now is impacting uh, all of the, the these Western states that rely on that river, as well as as well as Mexico. At the, at, the, at the end of that river. And we have the Colorado River Compact that divides up how much water we each get, but there's just not as much water as the experts thought there was going to be. And so that's where we're really facing some significant challenges. You see it at Lake Powell, you see it at Lake Mead, um, and, and, and it's not just a water challenge, it, it's, it's an electricity challenge because that's where we generate at those dams. We generate so much electricity for millions of residents um, uh, across the, uh, the West, and, and those are the issues that we're working through right now. It's obvious at some point we're going to have to do more. Yes. What we're doing is better, but yes. not at the point where we need to be. What are some? What does that look like? Yeah. So, so we will continue to work with the legislature. Um, we're I, I've got a meeting in the next couple of weeks with uh, with the leadership from the legislature to talk about kind of what some of those next steps are going to be. Um, we certainly know that secondary metering is a huge piece of this. Uh, so many of our secondary water connections, which is what most people use for their uh, f- for their um, their lawns, uh, they the, we they're not even metered and. And when we when we put meters on, we are seeing an immediate twenty five to thirty percent reduction. Even though nothing else changes, we just meter it. People are using less; they're just much more conscious of it. And so we we got a significant amount of money. We just uh, we just released about two hundred million dollars for projects related to to that money. Mm-hmm. Um, but that takes time. So that that that's going to take a couple years to get all of those installed. It's a, it's a, it's a very labor intensive process. Um, we have to do more on the Great Salt Lake, and uh, we are. Are buying water rights for the Great Salt Lake, something we've never done before, uh, but we need more money to do that. Um, we're we're going to be uh, leasing water rights from from farmers and ranchers, trying to get more more of that water into the stream beds and, and preserving the Great Salt Lake. That's going to be a really big focus of ours over the next five years. I do the Greenhouse Show on Saturday. Yeah. We've heard a lot about flip your strip. Yeah. Okay, a lot of people are doing that, but it's really expensive to flip your whole yard. Do you see the possibility of any other incentives down the road to help people do that? Yeah, so we, we desperately want to increase that as well. When I said we need some more funding, um, we passed, a lot of people don't realize this, we've had flip your strip programs before, but they've been kind of water district specific and not a lot of money associated with that. Um, we, we were able to, to convince the legislature to give us $5 million for a statewide program, first statewide program in the country. And uh, the demand, this is, this is, I think, really positive news, that the demand for those programs went up about 500% since, hmm. since last year. People so, can see how nice they look. Yeah, that's the thing. It's for, not just putting down rocks. It's not. For a long time, people thought, oh, those are ugly. We have to have grass. And now they're seeing them done well. And, uh, and they're very attractive and, and lower maintenance, which people also like as well. And so we're, we're very excited about that. And we do, we're, we're going to try to get more money for those programs so that, so that people can do more of that, so that we can pitch in and help. But, but I have to say one thing that's important is it, it, it's kind of hard to see people flipping their strip and, and putting in waterwise landscape and then seeing new lawns being put in. 
at the same time, right? Because then then we're we're not saving. And so as we have to prioritize the money that we have for these programs, we're prioritizing them towards communities that are also incentivizing new buildings with waterwise landscapes. Because you don't want to you don't want to have somebody put in a lawn and then pay to take it out right. a year later, right? right? Let's start with these waterwise landscapes in these areas. So the communities that are being much more aggressive in promoting and starting with waterwise landscapes on new buildings, they're going to be top priority to get the incentives for Flip Your Strip when there's a limited amount to go along, if that makes sense. It does. Okay, let's move to another issue. How do you respond to the Republican Party resolution supporting a ban on gender-affirming medical treatment? Sure. So this is a this is a very difficult one. And anytime we we are are working on these issues that impact children, um, impact families, I think we have to be very cautious. Uh, my, my party historically has been opposed to government intervention in medical decisions between between parents and children and their and their doctors. Um, and so I think we should always be extremely cautious whenever we are trying to intervene in in uh, medical decisions with families uh, and and the decision that we saw this during COVID um, and, and we're certainly seeing it with uh, with this issue. Um, now, we do know that there, there has been new research and new data coming out that shows that um, there are some long-term consequences to these decisions that are being made, to, to surgeries and some of the, the medications that are being prescribed that, uh, that, that could be uh, damaging to kids long-term um, in, into adulthood. And there is, even within the LGBTQ community, there is a, a, a deep discussion and divide over the appropriateness of, of some of these, uh, these, these procedures that, that are taking place. And so I do think it's appropriate for us to have this debate and this discussion and, and, and gather the data. And that's what we're doing right now. We're working with the legislature to gather that data, um, to listen to experts, to find out what, what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, when is it appropriate, when is it not appropriate. And uh, my hope is that we'll be able to come together in, in a way, again, listening um, in, a, in a very empathetic and compassionate way, um, understanding the challenges that these, these kids are facing um, and helping them and their families make the right decisions that will protect them now and protect them long term. So we, we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but, uh, but that's the discussion that's happening. Have you had any conversations with lawmakers about I this? I have. Yes. Yeah, I have. It's and likely to come up. So I'm wondering what they're saying. Yeah, yes. it's, it's definitely there's, – there's no question. In fact, we're planning on it coming up. I, I mean that's the discussion is that we want something to happen here. We don't know what it is yet. I don't know that anybody knows exactly what it is yet, um, but but those are the discussions. So right now, it really is more of a data gathering, fact-finding gathering, and then policy uh, policy proposals will, will start to be drafted later in the year and heading into January. All right. We're starting to get our calls lined up now. Great. So we're going to take a break and come back with our callers. The number for you to call and ask your question of the governor 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. You're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, 
you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Speak speak to to the the governor Governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Let's go to the phone lines. And John is in Ogden. And good afternoon, John. What is your question? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on. Um, Since we need revenue and our medical cannabis has rolled along so well and has become so popular, has there been any about creating a recreational and taxing it for revenue. It seems the surrounding states, Colorado and Nevada, have a lot of money from their recreational cannabis program. And would that help with our conservation of water and perhaps teachers' salaries and schools that we need? John, thank, thank you for the question. Uh, we, uh, as you mentioned, the, uh, the the medical cannabis program that we we put in place a couple of years ago has uh, ha- has been, I, I would say, very successful in in the right ways, and that is that it's it's very heavily regulated. We treat cannabis like we do other medicines. Um, you work with your doctor, and then we have these dispensaries that are are regulated very much like a pharmacy uh, to to make that happen. Uh, I, I can tell you just. Um, I was looking at some numbers uh, between March 2020 and January 2022. We had about just just over 60,000 medical cannabis cards um, that had have been issued, and about 60% of those are are currently active. Um, so so that gives you just a, a little bit of an idea. In, in, in a in a state of 3.3 million people, um, those that have, that have needed that and, and had been prescribed that by by a doctor. Um, what I can say is there there really has not been any discussion about uh, about recreational uh, marijuana in the state. It's not something I support. It's not something most legislators support. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. And if you spend any time in, in those cities that you talked about, uh, I, I've talked to even some, some liberal politicians in Colorado and others who, who really regret that they went uh, that direction. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's been very damaging, um, especially to, to many of those that are the most vulnerable. They're, they're homeless populations and others. Um, they've seen it just uh, just 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 ravage them and it's 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 not generally seen uh, by by most in that area as, as a real positive and so I, I just don't see it coming to Utah anytime soon and, and certainly not while I'm governor all right John thank you for your question let's go to our next caller and that is Bryce in Farmington good afternoon Bryce what is your question for the governor Yes, I'm wondering, uh, with the water usage for residential outdoor watering, um, there's a lot of numbers out there, but it seems to hover around 10% of total water consumption in the state is for residential outdoor watering. And I'm wondering, what is a realistic expectation? Because even if we cut 100%, the most we're going to save is 10%. There's a lot of other big big uh, users where maybe we could funnel this money to better use it. 
open-ditch irrigation, open canals. Data centers use massive amounts of water, and we keep bringing those in. And, you know, even if we all cut our water use by 50% and villainize all the water users, we're going to save 5% tops. Sure. Yeah, Bryce, thank you. I think that's a very important question, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so so here's here's a couple ways to look at this. So, so first of all, um, that 5% is a big deal. I, I don't think people really realize how much water their lawns use and, and how much water they use um, inside their homes. So using less water outside allows us to use more water inside, which, which, which prepares us for our growth that's happening out there. Um, here's the problem with grass, um, especially grass that is not used for anything. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't. It doesn't help the economy. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't help your your household. Again, if you have a lawn where where the kids play, that's great, and that's that's what it should be used for. But what we're talking about is non essential grass. Non essential grass uses a lot of water in this desert, but doesn't give us any benefit back. All those other water users that you're talking about actually have another benefit. Um, specifically, farmers and ranchers, they grow our food, and that's really important. I'm I'm amazed at how many people don't realize that the only way to get food is to input water. So so you if if, if you want food, you have to have water. So that's that's a really important input um, that, that that matters. Now I agree with you on data centers. Um, we we have in the past we we've invested more in data centers. We've cut back on on any type of the incentives that are going to data centers to move in because we 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 should not be incentivizing heavy heavy water users like that. But I also say that many of those data centers recycle that water in ways that it it doesn't just disappear it gets used in other places as well um so so those are those are also net positives now you mentioned something that that is critical though and, and you're absolutely right we should be using more of that money in ways where we can save also more you know more gallons uh, uh, per capita and that is with our farmers and ranchers and so we we set aside uh, 70 million dollars this year specifically for that you, you mentioned open ditch irrigation um, covering those ditches uh, implementing new technologies that will significantly reduce the amount of water that is u- being used by farmers and just with the amount of money that uh, that that we appropriated this year, it will be like building a, a, a brand new uh, medium-sized reservoir in the state. And and that is an area where I, I do believe that we need to put more money um, so that we can grow our food with less water inputs. And that's a win-win for, for everyone. Uh, we've also changed the rules um, this this past year. And I've spoken about this a lot, but it's a really big deal. These are these are the laws that have been in place for um, since since before we became a state. This idea that if you this use it or lose it, we call it beneficial use doctrine, that you have to use the water uh, right or you will lose that water right. Um, and that incentivizes the wrong thing. That incentivizes farmers, ranchers, others um, to to maybe even overuse water that they don't need just so they don't use lose that water right. Now they can, uh, they can allow that water to stay in the ditch to get to places like the Great Salt Lake. Um, they can lease that water for other purposes and that's something we're working with them on as well. Um, so you could grow maybe two crops of, of whatever it is you're growing. And then uh, and then after that, you can turn the water over for other purposes, um, like getting it into uh, drinking water, um, getting it to the Great Salt Lake. So so these are, are big changes that are just going into effect that are going to have a significant impact. So it's not just about lawns. Let me be very clear. It can't just be about lawns. But but I also you, you shouldn't underestimate how important lawns are. Like that's a really big deal. We use billions and billions, trillions of gallons of water on our lawns, um, and m- much of that on lawns that only get walked on to mow. 
um, they, they don't get played on. They don't get recreated on. You look out the window everywhere, and we have these. You'll have a McDonald's with a, a strip of lawn next to it that usually waters the sidewalk, and uh, we're not we're not getting anything out of that. So water-wise, landscapes are a big deal, and we're behind the curve in in Utah because we made such huge investments before. We've had a surplus of water because people before you and I were born were out there building these reservoir systems, preparing for a future where we would have three million people in the state. Now we've got to act and prepare for a future when we have four or five million people in the state. Governor, whenever we have this conversation, someone will text in, well, this area, they're watering during the day. Um, This particular text uh, is pointing out the daybreak waters every day in the middle of the day. Is there something being done to um, incentivize cities to go after commercial properties that are actually watering at inappropriate times? Yeah, so so that's the... Historically, in Utah and in many different states, again, the, the water is is controlled in in, in different water districts or, or um, in these these water conservation areas, and um, those um, those districts are the ones that are responsible. Sometimes their municipalities um, are, are responsible for making sure that water is being used according to the rules of, of, of whatever whatever that jurisdiction is. And it's going to be different in every jurisdiction. That's the thing about drought and uh, and about water. Um, sometimes parts of our state, we're a very big state, will get lots of rain and lots of snow and others won't. So it's going to be different in, in every area. Um, a, a great example is the the, the Weber district. Um, they, they have had... Uh, the last two years, they've been one, one had the most significant drought of just about anywhere in the state. They, they've really been struggling with their capacity, so they've had to be much more vigilant. They've put out rules that you can only uh, you can only water certain times of the week and certain hours of the day, um, and the, you, you'll get uh, you'll get one warning, and then they'll they'll actually turn off your secondary water in some places. And they've been doing that, and so the the incentive is uh, that uh, you've got to have enough water to drink, and you have to have enough water for everything else that's happening in your municipality. So when when it gets low enough, there are triggers in every one of these that then allow them to put in place rules and enforce those rules. Right. And if people do have complaints, they really should go to the water district. Exactly. That's right. that's the place to go. Uh, another water question. Why are we saving water to give to farmers who are growing crops or being sold out of the country? Do we have many crops in Utah being sold in other parts? We we have some, but not as much as people. This is always such a big deal, and people get really fixated on this. And it's it's uh, it's it's alfalfa is the crop that they're worried about. It's less than twenty percent that actually gets sold outside of the state of Utah, and it's it's one way to keep uh, keep these farms alive. Now we we don't sell any of our hay outside of this outside of the uh, outside of the country. Um, but there are some farmers that do, and uh, and, and I support that. Um, look, you guys, <laughs> I, it, it's really fascinating to me. So, so first of all, um, every district is very different. Um, if, if 90% of the farmers in Utah stopped farming tomorrow, none of that would come to the Salt Lake Valley. That's that's not how it works. Water flows downhill and it flows in different areas um, where, wherever you're living. So so that's that's not going to make a difference. The second part of this is where where do you think the water comes from for all of these developments that we have in the state? It comes from farmers. That's exactly where it comes from. This is farmland that eventually gets developed. And when that farmland gets developed, 
then those water rights get turned into municipal rights or secondary meter, or secondary water rights. That's how this system has worked, and it's how it's worked forever. I'm less worried about the amount of water that our farmers are using. I'm more worried that we're losing farms across this state. We are losing farms at a record pace. You don't have to worry about the about getting water from farmers because that's where the incentive is. The incentive is to sell your farm off and build big buildings, build, build homes, and uh, significantly reduce the open space that we have in this state. If you're an environmentalist, if you care about the environment, you should be all in on farming and ranching in this state. If you care ab- about water and preserving water, you should be all in on farmers and ranchers. Who, who do you think developed all of these systems that allow us to get our drinking water here? It's farmers and ranchers that are working to put in the pipelines, working to put in the irrigation systems, working to put in the storage facilities so that they could make a living in this in this barren desert. So I, I, I get a I get a little um, I get a little upset when people are attacking farmers who are doing more than anyone else to conserve water in this state. Um, Over the past years, most of the farmers that I know have cut back um, almost in half um, their irrigation usage, and and they're they're dying off because of it. Um, We are losing farms because the economics aren't there when the water is not there. So uh, so I I would be very careful about this idea that we should just put every farmer out of business and that our state would somehow be better off because that's not going to be the case. Let's take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text your questions to the governor at 57500. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL and from you. Call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shalaus with Utah Governor Spencer Cox, taking your questions, your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Brent is in Salt Lake. Good afternoon, Brent. What is your question? Yeah, thank you for taking my call, Governor. Uh, I just had a question on uh, the roads. Uh, I travel I-15 every day, and I know where every bump is, uh, especially around 50, just before 5300 south, heading north. There's a bad bump, and it doesn't matter which lane you're in, and it's just getting worse and worse. Uh, All the potholes, 21st south, or the 201 is really bad, and I was just wondering... Uh, when and if we're going to be able to uh, get these roads repaired. Well, Brent, thank you for the question, and thanks for pointing out uh, a couple areas. I, I, I drive the freeway quite a bit, and, and I don't think I had noticed the bump at 5300 South, but we'll, we'll certainly look at that one. Um, we're um, very grateful for uh, for UDOT and, and the work that they do here, and uh, certainly uh, there, there's a lot of jokes in Utah about the, the different seasons. There's uh, you know there's there's winter, and, and then there's road construction, and uh, it, it takes a lot when when you live in a state that uh, that has so 
much variance in in temperature um, with the, with the hot and the cold weather, the freezing uh, that that makes it very difficult to maintain this this type of infrastructure. And we have crews that are going nonstop uh, being able to do that. Now there there have been some supply chain issues and some inflation issues over the past year that have made it a little bit difficult. Um, we had a shortage of concrete, um, and and that certainly hurt some of the road repairs that we had scheduled for uh, for this summer that uh, that we weren't able to take care of. But we're catching up on that as as more and more concrete becomes available for us to to take care of that. Um, I I will say that there is additional money coming to the state uh, for uh, for our, our our freeways and our infrastructure. The the bill that was passed by uh, by Congress a few months ago will uh, will help in some of those areas when it comes to to implementing new infrastructure and uh, maintaining our our old infrastructure. Um, I I will note, while not perfect, and certainly we do have potholes, um, but that Utah is routinely recognized as one of the best states in the country for maintaining our infrastructure, including our freeways. Uh, But we we obviously don't catch all of those potholes and every bumps, but we're we're working on it. And uh, we'll definitely make a note of those two and see what we can get taken care of soon. Thank you so much. All right, Brent, thanks for your call. Let's go to Paul, who is standing by in Spanish Fork. Good afternoon, Paul. What is your question? Hi, Governor Cox. Thanks for taking my call. I, along with other uh, property owners in uh, Utah, recently received our tax notices, uh, our local tax notices for property tax. I've got three entities on here that have increased my taxes. Uh, One is Spanish Fork City. The other one's Nebo School District. And the final one is the Central Utah Water Conservancy. Now, for two out of three of those uh, entities, I have direct elections for members on their, um, yeah, members of those uh, boards, committees, whatever it is, but not for the Central Utah Water Conservancy District. Um, so I've, I looked up some of the law, and it looks like it's depending on where you live, what county you're in, if the district spans municipalities. But is there any move to having us directly elect those members of Water Conservancy Districts? Because, I mean, as, as you've talked here, Water is critical to, uh, to everything in Utah, and I think when it comes to taxes, we should have a direct say. Now, I understand there's you know, indirect appointments by you or other boards uh, you know, or other um, governing bodies, but I'd sure love to you know, essentially have our, our, our voice heard especially when it comes to taxes on our properties. Anyway, could you comment on that? Yeah, sure, Paul. Thanks for, for bringing that up. Um, it, it's, a, I, it's a fantastic question, and I think it's a very valid question. Um, cer- certainly, you're right. Uh, the, the procedure, um, and, and I don't, I don't. I apologize. I don't know off the top of my head what it's like for every district and 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 how that works. But I, I think in in most cases, um, you're you're right that the names are are usually suggested and brought forward by county commissioners and and others. And then there's an appointment process that that we go through. Um, we we know that uh, there the the governor's office picks um, picks one per open seat, and then that goes to the Senate for ratification in in many of those areas. And uh, the there. Their, their meetings are open to the public and uh, open to public comment. Um, I, you ask the question, though, is, is there a movement to try to change that? I'm not aware uh, of any movement to try to change that. But, but certainly, um, I, I believe that if, if we have the power to, to tax people, we, we, need to be, um, we need to be open and, and we certainly need to be responsive uh, to, the, to the citizens that we're, we're impacting. And water is one step removed. Uh, that 
that you, you are correct. In, in, in many cases, water is one step removed. Uh, obviously, uh, districts that are run by municipalities are, are uh, the, the, the city councils or county councils and, and mayors are directly responsible there. Um, so it, it's a valid it's a valid question. One, I don't know that I, I don't know if that's come up before. I don't know if it's been debated before. Certainly not while I've been in office over the past uh, eight or nine years. But uh, but I, I think it's uh, you know, I think it's an interesting discussion and, and one worth having. I, I, I really appreciate you pointing that out. I would encourage people to get involved. I would encourage people to go to those meetings um, and especially especially meetings where there is a, a proposal to increase a tax. Um, I, I've often been surprised at the um, at how few people show up to anything related to uh, government and, and specifically related to taxing. And uh, you can have a big impact by sh- just by showing up and voicing your concern and getting your neighbors involved. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, and, and it's something I'm going to look into more. Next texter, Governor, says, is there anyone who is watching the number of new apartments and houses being built uh, to make sure that there's enough water to service them? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a really good question. So, so the answer is yes, in most cases. Um, now the answer is yes in all cases. And, and let me explain. Um, so, again, water districts and municipalities have historically had the responsibility for making sure that there's enough water for the people that live there. Uh, it may surprise you to learn that there was never any legal requirement that they, that they do that. Um, this past legislative session, I mentioned we passed uh, 11, 12 bills uh, that, uh, that dealt directly with water conservation. One of the bills we passed was a bill that, that requires now municipalities or, or counties, whoever the, uh, the land use authority is, they, they have to certify that there is enough water for those developments that are happening. So whether it's single-family homes, whether it's an office building, uh, whether it's an apartment building, high-rise, whatever it is, they have to be able to show, so the water engineers related to the district or the municipality have to be involved in the planning process. Now, many municipalities were doing that already, um, but not all of them. And so this is a, this is a big change and, and a change that will impact, uh, will impact everyone um, and, and require us to really look down the road. Okay, if we're going to approve these you know, 200 apartment buildings, do we have enough water? What does that look like? What does it look like in a drought scenario where we are right now? And uh, can we approve this? And if, and if we can't, um, then they're going to have to start limiting the building permits that have happen in those municipalities. All right, we need to take a break. The number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Back with the final segment of Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Speak speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shalaos along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And back to our phone lines, we have Dave in Bountiful. Good afternoon, Dave. What is your question? Yes, um, I wanted to ask the governor... So, Dave, I'll need you to turn down your radio. We're getting a bit of feedback from that. There you there go. There we go. Sorry Perfect. about that. I didn't didn't realize it was going to be that quick. All right. I'm going to ask the governor. Um, I've worked with some professional sports, and I've had a lot of people come into Salt Lake City over the years, and they say how beautiful and how clean it is. And I know that we're really hurting for workforce, um, you know, hiring people and whatnot. But 
why are we using, utilizing the prisoners more to clean up? It just seems like our highways and on-ramps, off-ramps are extremely dirty, and they just stay that way, you know, for weeks and weeks. And then the other question was, I've heard something along the lines of them piping fresh water from uh, the Louisiana area and wondered if he had heard of that at all and if that is actually an option. Yeah, thank you. Both great questions. We appreciate that. So, as uh, as, as some of you know, I'll 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 take the the, the first question first. Um, we we recently created a new prison, and uh, it, it was a, it was a huge undertaking. And getting the prisoners moved has been um, a, a really uh, just just a. A, a huge undertaking to, to move over 2,500 prisoners. Uh, if you think through some of the logistics of that, how difficult that that is and, and, and has to be. Um, every prisoner is very unique. You can't put certain populations together. Some of them you have to take one at a time. Some of them you can take in, in, in bunches. Uh, but, but it took an incredible amount of planning in several days. Um, we're also a little bit understaffed, unfortunately, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to our, our prison. We... Uh, you, you mentioned that there's a labor issue right now, and that's exactly the the problem that we're dealing with is uh, is a labor shortage in state government as well. And and so this is a, a shout out anybody that's listening. Um, we we are hiring corrections uh, persons to work at the, at the state prison. Um, we we have mandatory overtime right now because we don't have enough people working out there, and so it's really taxing. Of course, uh, public safety is our top priority, and and no one is at risk. But to do things like that to have prison Prisoners taken outside of the prison uh, to uh, to do clean cleanup projects and things like that. That takes additional staff to do, and because uh, staffing is so low right now, it makes it a little harder to accomplish some of those things that we would like to. So, anybody listening out there, it's a great job, great benefits. Um, we're working on increasing pay as well, uh, so that we can attract more people in, into the the labor force and help out there. But we want to keep Utah clean, and so we appreciate our volunteer groups. Um, we we've had the Adopt a Highway program for a long time, and uh, we want to continue to encourage volunteers, church groups, youth groups to uh, to get involved, to help keep our, our cities clean and uh, and our freeways clean as well. Um, so, so really, really good question there. Um, when, when it comes to piping in water, um, the, uh, the, the answer is that, that we, I, I think everything is on, on the table right now. Um, there have been some discussions about the possibility of, of pipelines that would move water from one part of the country to another uh, to impact places that are in drought. Um, if you look historically, um, sometimes the Midwest is in drought. Of course, right now this drought is affecting the West with the, the climate changing. Um, we're, we're not certain how, how long that will be the case, if that will always be the case. Uh, but having, having a system of pipelines that allow us to move water across state lines could be very beneficial to the, uh, to, to the country and, and right now to the West, but maybe other places in, in other times. So it, it's certainly something that is being discussed. It's something that's being discussed at the federal level as well. I would say it's a, it's a long ways away from something like that ever happening, but uh, we're, we're, uh, we're willing to look at, at every possibility that's out there. Uh, Governor, our next listener wants to know, when will Utah begin phasing out the tax on senior citizens' Social Security income? They say Utah is only one of 13 states that continue to impose this tax. Yeah, so so that that has already started. Um, we, we actually have passed a couple tax cuts that go directly to Social Security. Um, and and so we um, we passed the first one, uh, my, my first session as, as governor. It was really important, something I campaigned on, a significant reduction in that tax. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then we passed 
passed more tax decreases this past year that will come into play this this coming year. So you'll see that in uh, when you get ready to pay your taxes next year in January, February, filling that out as you're towards the April 15th deadline. You'll see that rolling back. This is this was really important to me. Um, the the initial cuts have been have been phased based on on income, so that the uh, you know the wealthiest people uh, would would still be paying tax on that, but but m- most seniors would not be. That's the way we we structured this as we're starting to phase that out. And uh, I, I appreciate the text because it's something I absolutely agree on. We should not if you're living on a fixed income as a senior, um, we should not be taxing you on your social social security. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Dory is in Leighton. Uh, good afternoon, Dory. What is your question? My question is, thank you for taking the call, first of all. My question is, why aren't we getting to the root of the problem of uh, the lack of water? Um, typically, only 40% of the inorganic fertilizers applied in con- conventional farming are absorbed by the plants. The rest pollutes our airs, rivers, uh lakes, oceans, causing major damage to those ecosystems and to the world's uh, oceans. With a balanced soil web in place and the use of regenerative uh, practices, inorganic fertilizers are not required. We have over uh, 1 billion tons of fertilizer just in the United States alone, and it's destroying our earth. Any any questions to that where you're a, a farmer why aren't we why aren't we addressing the soil? I know there's a program down in Delta, Utah right now that's experimenting with this, and right now they're they're a few of the farmers there are saying they are using thirty percent less water right now yeah, yeah yeah thank you thank you for that uh, that that comment and and that question um we're working very closely with utah state and uh, and others on the uh, you mentioned uh, these these pilot programs that are happening um they're 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 so many different uh, pilot programs out there, uh, experiments that are taking place right now, looking at at fertilizer use, looking at organic fertilizers versus the inorganic fertilizers that you mentioned. Um, no, no question that uh, we would prefer to use organic fertilizers as much as possible for the the the, the very reasons that uh, that you mentioned, the, the chemicals that are out there that can harm our our, our rivers and streams. Um, doing a better job of that. You you also are aware that those fertilizers are significantly more expensive and uh, with inflation. Inflationary pressures around food um, that can be very difficult, but the water piece of this is is really critical and and something that we're very interested in. Um, there's there's several new technologies that are being implemented in different places. Um, it, not just not just with fertilizer, although certainly there. Uh, again, with with different watering systems and and then with indoor growing, um, there are some uh, some wonderful technologies out there that uh, that are allowing uh, farmers and ranchers to uh, to grow food indoor um, under light. Uh, with uh, with significantly less water usage, and uh, and and using that uh, as silage to to feed cattle and uh, and other animals. So the, I, I will say this: you're right. The future is very bright, and I think over the, the the next few years, we're going to see some of these breakthrough technologies really start to ramp up uh, and scale in a way that that is going to produce more food with less waste and and much less water. We have just a couple minutes left. I'm going to try and squeeze in this next caller. This is Bruce in Salt Lake. Bruce, what is your question? Yes, uh, I have a question about uh, UTA. Okay, what are the big projects they're going to come up with next? <clears throat> yeah, uh, thank new- you. Sure. Yeah. 
That's we it. good. Okay, we'll we'll go ahead and, and and I'll just jump in on that since we're just about out of time. Um, we we are doing some some pretty exciting things around uh, around UTA. Um, we passed a law last year where UTA and and the Utah Department. Department of Transportation, UDOT, are going to be working together on big projects. So now instead of just thinking in silos about mass transit versus expanding our freeways, now they're working in conjunction with each other, working together um, to, uh, to to drive better and more responsible uh, growth and, and planning, which is exciting. Uh, we just finished the, the Vineyard Station, which is a, a huge part of a regional development that's going to be happening there. It's a model for a sustainable development, something we're very excited about. Um, the biggest project I'm excited about is double tracking for Front runner, um, so that we can have front runner running more often, which will allow more people to use it. Uh, because you'll, you'll have trains every fifteen to twenty minutes instead of every half hour, which is going to make a huge difference in our state. Good job, Governor. and I think we're out of time. Well, we are out of time. I'm going to ask one question. You can do a yes or no. Bryson wants to know: uh, Is there any likelihood of an MLB team coming to Utah? Well, I don't know how likely, but we we've been for ten years. We've been talking about this, Governor Herbert and I. We would love to see it happen. Um, if Major League Baseball decides to expand, there's talk that they might in the next five to ten years. Um, then we certainly hope Salt Lake City is on the map. All right, Governor. Thank you again for spending your time with us on letting our listeners ask their questions. Thank you, Maria. And again, you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.